Sometimes you got several jobs. Listen, before we get started, I want to share something with you this morning. I thought it was very important to share. Uh, I got a text message last night. You know, I was getting prepared for this morning, a little bit nervous, but hearing from God at the same time, you know, getting really spiritual. And I get a text message, and it says, Bob's from Bob Gray. So, so I knew it was going to be powerful. I knew it was going to be from the Lord more than likely. And, uh, and, uh, and he, says, he says, Dear Clay, do you know the UK ball game starts at 12? <laughs> then, he, then, he give, then he gives me this wisdom from heaven. He says, the amount of time you speak is not important. It's what you say that matters. <laughs> to, which, to which I replied, Bob, thank you. I'll take that into consideration. But the UK game starts at one, so we've got plenty of time. Oh, man. Praise God. You got to have people like Bob in your life. I appreciate that, Bob. I always appreciate good godly counsel. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and jump into uh, the message here this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Before, uh, before we read that, let me just give you a little background on what, what we're in on here because we're kind of going through the book of Exodus. And last week we talked about how Exodus and everything in the Old Testament really is not just a story about Israel and the history of God's people and the history of Israel. It's God's story but, and it's Israel's story, but it also becomes our story. The Bible says of itself that everything written in the Old Testament was written for our instruction and our examples to us of how we should live our lives and, and, and how we should have faith in God and walk the way that God is, is, is teaching us. And so in the book of Exodus, it's really a picture of how God intends to bring his people out of slavery and out of bondage. And so Exodus means exit. It means how are we getting out of this place that we're in? Because every single person that lives and breathes and has a soul finds themselves born into sin in a place of bondage to the world and to sin and to various addictions. And we are enslaved to sin, the Bible says. Jesus says himself. And so God's intention is that he would redeem us out of that slavery, out of that bondage, and bring us into a promised land or God's promises for our lives. He calls a land that is flowing with milk and honey. That means that Jesus said that the, the, the thief or the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so God sees us in our state of bondage to sin in this world, and he says, no, I have a purpose for your life. I have an intention for your life, and I'm completely dedicated to bringing you out of every prison, every form of bondage that the enemy would try to bring upon you and bring you into an abundant life. Now, see, that's the gospel message. That's a good message, and that's God's intentions for us. But here's the other problem. We also notice how Moses is a picture of Christ because he's the one sent by God to bring the people out of bondage. And we'll find later on that he applies blood, a blood of the lamb, to the doorposts in order to deliver them from Egypt. And ultimately, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that delivers us from this bondage. But we also notice that Moses is not just a picture of Jesus, but he's a picture of the church. He's a picture of the body of Christ who is called to live the same life that Jesus lived in some sense, to carry out the mission of Jesus that Jesus started, that we've been commissioned by God to enforce the victory of Jesus Christ in the world to bring people out of bondage and into freedom. Amen? 
And so Moses starts to, starts to reveal to us a lot about ourselves because here's what it says in Exodus chapter 4. We'll, I'm going to read several verses so you can follow along. It says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. You ever feel that way whenever you feel called by God to go into a certain area? You say, well, you know, suppose they won't believe me, Lord. Suppose they'll say the Lord has not appeared to you. You don't know the Lord. You're not hearing from God. Suppose they say that. He's getting fear. He's getting uh, apprehensive about things. So, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he cast it on the ground. And he said, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And when he put his hand in his bosom and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again. It says bosom a lot there, by the way. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent neither before nor, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father... We thank you so much for your word because sometimes at first glance we don't understand what it's saying. And you know what? That's okay because you've given your Holy Spirit to teach us, God, all of the things that are in Scripture. And so this morning I just pray that you would bring things uh, to light. Lord, that your word would go forth in power and in demonstration of the Spirit in power, God, that um, my, my wisdom can't convince anyone to believe in you. But Holy Spirit, you can. And I pray that you would convict our hearts this morning that you would draw us to you and you would cause us to believe you for greater things in our life than we ever had before. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Moses now has, he's had this encounter with God. You remember last week, he has this encounter with God. He was raised in Egypt for 40 years, even though he was a Hebrew. He was heir to the throne. And the Bible says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So he tried to kill a guy to get his people free and it didn't work out. And then all of a sudden he is driven into the wilderness at about the age of 40. He spends another 40 years in the wilderness and then God appears to him in a burning bush. This man is 80 years old at this point. So he's not a young man anymore. He doesn't have any natural strength. Things aren't looking too good for him. For all he knows, the Lord has just left him and said, you know what, your people are just going to stay in bondage. Because years have passed by and he's thinking, well, surely I'm not supposed to go back to Egypt. Now, if I go back, they'll just kill me. And God appears to him in a burning bush, which we said was really a type of an encounter with God. 
It's a type of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, you know, Pentecostal people and different folks like that, they think that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is, is something that makes you crazy in church. But the truth is, over and over again, Scripture points to the fact that what the Holy Spirit does is make a person passionate about mission. That when you encounter the Holy Spirit in the presence and the power of God, it doesn't make you crazy. What it makes you is passionate about God's heart. It makes you care that people are lost and broken and in sin and in bondage. And it begins to make you desire to share the gospel and the truth of God's word. But it also begins to make you believe that when you share that gospel, it has the power to set them free. It begins to make you believe that when you pray for them, things are going to happen. It begins to make you believe that there is nothing in this world that is stronger than God. And you know that that fire is able to consume and overcome every obstacle that would keep people bound in the bondage and the powers of darkness so that they can now come into the freedom that Jesus Christ offers. So he has this encounter with the Holy Spirit, so to speak, with God. And God begins to share his heart with him. He says, I've heard the groaning of my people. See, because God hears the groaning of you. He hears your heart's cry. He hears the pain that you're going through. He feels all of those things very deeply, very intimately. But he doesn't only feel our pain. He feels the pain of the people that are outside of these walls who have no idea the things that we know about God. And so Moses is, is beginning to encounter God, and God is sharing his heart with him. And he's saying, Moses, I brought you out of Egypt, not just so you could stay out of Egypt, but I brought you out of Egypt so you could go right back into the very place that you came from and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. See, God didn't bring you out of sin and slavery and bondage and out of your old way of life just so you could start to become a regular church member. God brought you out of your old way of life so that he could empower you and equip you to go right back into the same place that you came from and bring others out with you. To say, look, God brought me out of where you're at, and I'm telling you I've been through what you've been through, and I've come to bring you out and to show you the way into freedom, and Jesus Christ has paid the price for us to go there. And so that's God's intention. But see, here's what we are faced with, just like Moses. He says, but what if they don't believe me or listen to my voice? Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Because we're all sent by God to bring people in, but here's the truth is that because of fear oftentimes and because of worry about what people think, the church remains silent to a large degree. We expect only the preachers to get up on Sunday. And honestly, I'll even say, one, let me come at preachers for a minute since I am one of them. A lot of times, preachers only want to share the Word of God on Sunday mornings when they preach. See, because we're not designed, this is really, church on Sunday morning is really only a very, very, very small part of the Christian life. Very small part of the Christian life. This is to infuse you with life to bring us together in a corporate setting so that we can encounter God in a corporate way as the body of Christ. But it's designed to equip us and encourage us so that when we're built up and strengthened through church, we can go out through the week and minister to people who don't have this same thing that we have. And so Moses has been beginning to encounter this. And here's what I really believe about our church is that Satan is trying to get us to remain silent in a time where God is saying, man, the harvest is great. And you need to open your eyes and begin to believe me for greater things because I want to reach out to people and save people and heal people and bring people into deliverance. And you cannot remain silent in this hour. You have to begin to open your mouth and believe God to do miracles with the things that you say. See, our goal at this church, our vision is very simple. It's to win souls and make disciples. 
And you cannot win a soul unless you are loving those souls and sharing the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. It is an impossibility. So you don't win souls by trying to get people to change their behavior. Did you know that? Doesn't work. You have to share the love of God with them. You have to share Jesus Christ with them. But see, that is our goal. And here's the thing. God says, I know, Moses, that you're struggling. But here's the truth of God is that he loves taking people in their ordinariness, in their weakness, in their fear, in their place, in their area of life where they say, I can't do this, God. He says, great. Now I've got you in the place where I can actually use you. Because as long as you think you can do it, you're not fit to be used by God. Because you're still relying on your own strength and energy. Moses had come to the end of his natural ability. He'd lost his kingdom. He'd lost his entourage. He'd lost all the people that were going to help him. He had no power over government. He had absolutely no power to topple the Egyptian empire because it was the most powerful government and empire in all the world at the time. And he's an 80-year-old man with a stick and a one-line sermon. He got nothing else. I mean, it's almost funny to think about that God's saying, I want you to go in there to Pharaoh who could have you killed in a moment of time. And matter of fact, they used to did want to have you killed. And I'm telling you to go in there and stand as an 80-year-old man with a stick and sandals on your feet. You ain't even got a pair of sandals. Now you took them off at the burning bush. All you got is a stick and a one-line sermon. You're going to go in there and say, hey, let my people go. Turn them loose. Doesn't seem like it's going to work, does it? Right? So, you see, here's the thing. God is saying, no, if you will obey me and do the small things that I'm asking you to do, I will begin to perform miracles. I'll begin to open doors. I'll begin to show you things. I'll begin to show you how I work, but you have to learn to rely on me. And God says, Moses, I'm going to give you three signs that will be a voice to the unbelievers that I'm with you. And God is saying to us, I will give you three signs that will be a voice to those people around you that I'm with you. And I've come to save them. I've come to help them. I've come to strengthen them in their need. And the first one, number one in your notes, is our authority in Christ. Our authority in Christ is the first sign that God gives us. Now, in verses 2 through 5, you see the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, A rod. A rod is always a symbol of authority in the Scripture. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And so he cast it to the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand again. So notice this. He's got a rod in his hand. He throws it on the ground. It becomes a serpent. He gets scared to death and runs from it. Then he comes back up and takes it by the tail, and it becomes a rod in his hand again. Now, this is a picture of our authority in Christ. Now, here's, here's the first thing we have to understand is that a serpent throughout the scripture is obviously a picture of who? It's a picture of the enemy. It's a picture of Satan. And what happened was in the Garden of Eden, God had given man all authority over the kingdoms of the world. He had given them dominion, but the serpent came in and the serpent deceived man and man forfeited his authority over to Satan and Satan became the ruler of this system of things. See, that's why the world is in, is in as bad a shape as it is. And so often what happens is people say, well, you know, I have a hard time believing in God because I can't believe a God would allow all of these terrible things to happen. But here's the truth. God has not allowed all of these terrible things to happen. He gave man control, man authority, and man gave that authority to Satan, and Satan caused these things to happen. It's a different way of looking at things. 
Because you have a responsibility as a man. And what Jesus Christ had to come to do is he said, look, I'm tired of Satan and the powers of darkness destroying my people, the ones that I love. And therefore, I'm going to go pay the ultimate price and I'm going to get the authority back. And when he comes, he dies on the cross and there's a divine exchange that happens. He takes the punishment for all sin. But just as Adam and Eve were tempted and they, and they didn't overcome the temptation, Jesus is tempted and he overcomes every temptation. But then he bears the weight of the punishment of sin as if he'd broken every law, though he was sinless. And there was a reversal that took place and he died and he was in the grave for three days, but he rose again from the dead. And when he did, he took the keys of hell, death and the grave. And he said, I've got all authority. Matthew 28, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, go therefore. Why? Because all authority is given to me now. And in me, you now have your authority back. That means you have authority over the enemy. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over, over serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He wants you to understand that you have an authority in Christ that you can control your life, you can drive out the enemy, you can bring freedom into people's life. But the problem is, is that we have a serpent who still lies to us. And what we often do is when we see that serpent, rather than use our authority against it, we run from it. Amen. And that's what Moses did first. When he saw the serpent and he saw the enemy at first, he ran from it. And that's our initial response to the attack of the enemy. And Jesus is saying, that should not be your initial response. You should know who you are in Christ. You should rise up in authority and take the authority over that thing. And so the first way that really we begin to deal with authority is in prayer. Because how you exercise your authority in Christ most powerfully is through your prayer life. That's why the enemy attacks prayer so much and tries to tell you, well, it's boring. You're not feeling anything. Nothing's happening. You know, and he tries to keep us out of prayer every which way that he can. But see, God says that anything you ask in my name, Jesus said, I will do it for you. Anything you ask in my name, it shall be done. And his name is according to his character. And you know what? The character of God says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Sin, sickness, disease, torment, fear, anxiety, all of these things. And I could go on and name lists forever. Shame, disgrace, worry. All of these things are coming up under the influence of the kingdom of darkness. God did not create you to live in that kind of pain and that kind of torment. And all of those things, abuse, addiction, all of these things come up under the realm of the works of Satan. And God is saying, no, I've given you authority and you have to exercise it now in the name of Jesus. You have to use it to come against these things and not allow these things to come on you. You know, so many times I see Christians that have literally Satan has come and attacked them and brought something on their life. And rather than resisting it, they receive it and embrace it as if it's from God. And as long as you do that, what you're doing is playing into the hand of the enemy and not exercising your authority in Christ. What you're doing is when the serpent says there, you're running from it and saying, I'm just going to let this serpent have my life rather than exercising your authority in that area. So intercession, let's talk about that a minute because Moses goes in to Pharaoh and he stands with only a stick and a one-line sermon. That stick to me is a picture of total dependence on the cross of Jesus Christ. When you pray, see when you pray, it's not based on the fact that God says, well, I really like that one. So I'm going to answer their prayers. No, he answers all of our prayers the same and equally because when we come, we don't come in our own name. We come in the name of Jesus. 
We all have equal access to God through the cross. We all have the same authority and the same power in Christ Jesus through the cross. Amen. And so when we come in, we are able to proclaim to Pharaoh, who's a picture of Satan, and say, let my people go in the name of Jesus Christ. And throughout Scripture, intercession, God talks a lot about intercession. And, and, and intercession, really over and over again, the Bible, like for example, in 1 Timothy 2, the Bible talks about making prayers and supplication and intercessions for all men. For those who are in authority, for kings and for President Trump and all of these people and pray for them. Why? Because God is willing that every man would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What he's saying is, is that to some degree the enemy has blinded the minds of people in this world and they don't and cannot see the gospel of the glorious, the glorious gospel of Christ. They're blinded to it, right? And what God is saying is when we begin to intercede and we begin to pray to God that he would remove that veil from their eyes and we begin to declare to Satan, let my people go in a sense through our prayer life, all of a sudden that veil is removed and they're able to see that Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And then they're able to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. But without a prayer life, without a church that truly prays, what's happening is we're allowing the influences of darkness to continue to bind people up and hold people in bondage and hold people in darkness and in their blindness. But when the church really truly rises up to begin to pray and intercede on behalf of the people that are in bondage, all of a sudden those chains begin to break. Eyes begin to open. Hearts begin to open up. Why? Because the church has said, you know what? We come in the authority of Jesus Christ and we're we're praying, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, and Satan, let the people that you have bound go. And I'm telling you, there is no limit to the power that the church has in intercession when they come in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. You believe that this morning? It's so true, but we often miss it. You know that every great revival throughout history, you know, even on the day of Pentecost, we talk about that a lot, but on the day of Pentecost, they were praying and interceding for 10 days. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They come out, Peter preaches the gospel, 3,000 get saved. Same 3,000 people who had just got done crucifying Jesus. Think about this. Why? Because before their minds were blinded, but now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit shows up on the scene because the people of God chose to believe in a promise and they believed in a promise and prayed until that promise came to pass. Intercession is huge. We have to begin, the, the word in the Hebrew for intercession, it literally means to encounter or to hit the mark, to meet together. What it means is that when you begin to pray, God is going to start to share his heart with you. He's going to start to put people on your heart. You're going to spend time with God. You're going to get people on your heart. You're going to start to pray for them. You're going to start to pray the word of God over them. And all of a sudden, he says that when you pray what I'm praying, I'm going to cause your prayer to hit the mark. The same word is used in Job for lightning, which is a transfer of power from heaven and earth. And God says, I make my lightning hit the mark. And he's saying that when you begin to pray according to my will and you begin to come in the authority of Christ and you intercede, I'm going to cause my power to transfer from heaven to earth and I'm going to cause your prayers to hit the mark. And it's going to destroy the works of the devil in people's life and they're going to come into freedom. Amen. That's one of the ways that we really have to understand. But here's another thing we have to understand about prayer and authority in prayer is that we constantly as a church, if we truly believe that we've been given this authority and this power, then we have to look for opportunities to pray and believe God for miracles. You believe that? You ever look for opportunities to pray and believe God for miracles? 
A lot of times we see bad things happen, and rather than getting excited about God being able to do something, we're like, oh, Lord, something terrible's happened. And I'm thinking, man, we're the children of God, are we not? Do we not have a power and an authority from heaven to change situations? But rather than pray, we get steeped in unbelief and wallow in self-pity for days upon that. Self-pity is a demon, by the way. I seen one manifest one time and call its name self-pity. But you have to, look, I'm trying to be, I got to be gracious. Lord, help me. I need to be gracious because people go through bad things and they go through difficult things, right? But you have a choice to either allow self-pity to dominate your life and you just accept every bad thing that comes so you can just enforce that woe is me attitude or you can rise up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, I'm struggling, I'm dealing with certain things, but at this point I have to begin to believe God to set me free and to begin to believe God for a miracle in my life. And that's the way, that's his attitude, that's where he wants you to be. It's okay, we talked about this in small group, it's okay to be broken and hurting because God does not want us to just say, well, everything's all right, don't worry about it. You know what, sometimes we experience things and pain comes in and we're hurt and we're in bad shape but that does not give us the right to wallow in self-pity and let the enemy overcome us we have to rise up in authority and begin to look for opportunities to reveal God's power in people's lives I remember I started wrestling with this years ago when I first became a Christian and uh and, and I was praying I was saying God you know your word says stuff like if we lay hands on the sick they're going to recover and uh and stuff like that. And I'm like, I just don't know if that's real or, or what to do about this. But I mean, I want to see miracles, you know, because when you're young and all this, you want to see cool stuff, right? And so, so I'm praying, I'm fasting about all these things. And actually, the first person I ever saw uh, an instant miracle happen in, in their life was, was Barb back here. Praise the Lord. But, but I'm going to tell you something, and Barb will often tell me and remind me about what happened that day. And when she does, it immediately just re-energizes me. And I'm like, oh, wow, God, you do still do that stuff, don't you? And, and, it, and it energizes me. But I was praying, and let me tell you how spiritual I was at this time. Because, you know, I was working with Barb at, at the time, and, and Barb comes in, and she's talking to somebody else. And she, you had a torn rotator cuff, didn't you? She had a torn rotator cuff, and I heard her talking. She said, you know, I've got this torn rotator cuff. I can't even hardly lift my arm, and I just want to pick up my babies, my grandbabies, and all this stuff, and I start to feel bad for her. So you know what I do? I go to the bathroom. And I went to the bathroom. I said, Lord, I'm about to pray for this woman. But here's the thing. When I pray for her, I want something to happen, God. I don't want to just pray and, and, and not believe you and not have faith and, and, and not really think that something's going to happen. I know you're a miracle worker, God, but you're going to have to show up and do something. And I went and I prayed for her. And let me tell you something. Here's what I didn't pray. What I didn't pray was, Lord, if it be your will. We know sometimes you bring these things on people. But if it be your will, please reach down and touch her fevered brow and bring healing into her body. That's what I didn't pray. What I did pray was a prayer of authority. I said, I command in the name of Jesus for this rotator cuff and the ligaments and the tendons to be restored and made whole now in Jesus' name. And whenever I said that, and look, we didn't get weird. We didn't shake. We didn't kick. We didn't holler. We just prayed. And as soon as we got done praying, she just lifted her arm like that and God had completely healed her arm. Now, what I'm saying is, now, what I'm saying is, and that's all glory to God because I've prayed for many people and nothing happened. It's got nothing to do with the person. It's got everything to do with God. 
Because he says, these signs shall follow those who believe. Not special dudes that get up and preach. He said, these signs shall follow those who believe. And since then, I've been able to see God do so many great things. But the truth is, we have to stay in that place of authority, seeking God, praying to God and saying, God, when I go out today, let me walk in your power. Let me walk in your authority. You know that Jesus said, there's scriptures that just mess me up. Like, for example, Matthew 10, 1, Jesus said that he gave his disciples authority to cast out demons and to heal all manner of sickness and disease. Now, somebody said, well, that's not for us today. You're wrong, but that's okay. We can disagree. Now, if he gives us authority to cast out demons and to heal all manner of sickness and disease, don't you think we ought to be praying for things like that to happen? That's just my opinion, right? According to the word of God. Because we want to see people free. We want to see people healed. We want to see God do his work. And we have to begin to do this. But here's another thing, that if we begin to realize that, you know what, we look for opportunities. When people are depressed, you know what, in my, my personal opinion, again, I'm not a medical doctor. But when people are depressed, you know what they don't need in my mind, sorry, I, this might offend somebody, is antidepressants. You know what they need? They need the Holy Spirit manifesting in their lives. They need the peace of God. They need the power of God. They don't need something to change their chemical imbalance. They need the Holy Spirit to come and give them joy and give them peace once again. And you know what God said whenever when Jesus sent out his disciples? He said, when you go into a house, he said, if the house be worthy, release your peace upon them. What he's saying is, is if that house or those people will receive it, release your peace on them. Some people will not receive it. So sometimes when you pray for people, guess what? It ain't going to happen because they're just not open to it. I've prayed for many Christians and you get done praying for them. And as soon as you get done praying for them, yeah, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, you, like you, you, you said no to it before we even started praying. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know, I know is, this, is this difficult for y'all this morning? Y'all good so far? I'm just trying to talk practically with you because really when we pray for things, it's not a big weird thing. That's another thing. We don't need to make it weird. Because let me say this to you. When you pray for somebody and you do something that's so strange that all they're thinking is, wow, this person's really crazy. They're not focused on God. They're focused on how crazy you are. And that might hurt somebody's feelings too this morning, but I'm just being honest, right? If we want to minister to people, you want to bring them into a place of peace and comfort. And honestly, that's why we should pray more after the service than we do in the middle. Because what happens a lot of times is we bring people in the middle. And what we do is everybody's looking at them and everybody's doubting what's getting ready to happen. You know, and they're, and they're looking out. I'm just trying to be real this morning. And everybody's doubting what's getting ready to happen. And there's so much pressure on that moment that the person that's actually getting prayed for is in a state of fear and, and anxiety. And what we need to do is do like Jesus. Jesus would sometimes bring them over to a, 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 a side spot and pray for them where they could be at peace and they could receive ministry. And he didn't do anything crazy. He prayed for them and he blessed them. And when he did, the healing would come. He used his authority, right? And so we begin to think about things. But out in public even, when somebody's dealing with fear, I can't tell you how many people, look, Donald and I, we went to and did an encounter retreat. Let's just, let's talk about authority in different areas because I don't want to just give you a bunch of dramatic things about the authority of Christ, but I want to give you, I want to give you some practical things that will help you because, because when people are even in fear, you can pray for them and just say, God, give them peace right now, just in your day. And nothing, nothing, nothing happens necessarily on the outside, but on the inside, they say, yeah, you know what? I feel better. 
because you choose to pray for them. And we need to be, begin to pray for people on that level. But Donald and I went to uh, Missouri and we did an encounter retreat. And I, I'll tell you a couple of stories that happened there. Uh, Donald was preaching on the cross. And there's nothing more powerful than the message of the cross and the blood of Jesus. And he's preaching on that. And while he's preaching on it, this guy just abruptly gets up and runs out the door. And this, another guy or a lady comes over and speaks to the pastor who I'm sitting beside. And, and she says, this guy's out here and he says he feel, feels like he's having a stroke right now. Uh, can you come out here for a minute? And so the pastor says, won't you come out here for a minute with me and I'll get this doctor and we can look at him. And so we walk outside and, and I'm just letting the doctor check him out at first. And his wife is crying and they're scared to death and they're crying. And, and the doctor's kind of like, well, what's going on? He said, well, I got diagnosed with a blood clot about two weeks ago and, and I'm dealing with this right now and, and, uh, and, and, and struggling with that and, and, and he's crying. He, they're, they're just scared to death is what they are. And, uh, and so I'm kind of standing back not wanting to impose and the woman says, we got to go. Let's go to the hospital right now. Let's go to the hospital. I said, well, hold on a minute. Let me pray before, before you go. And so I just started praying for him and, and as I'm praying, I just kind of realized and, and I said, and, and Father, I just right now, I just speak to this spirit of fear that's been telling him and his wife that he's going to die, and I command it to go in Jesus' name. And when I said that, he let out a belt like a, ah, just like that, and the thing left him. And his wife, and his wife was, was standing there, and, and you could just, you could just, Feel peace begin to cover them. And I prayed for them. And you know what? They didn't go to the hospital. Matter of fact, they came back in, finished out the rest of the day. And at the end of it, he comes up and shakes my hand and says, thank you for praying for me. I'm not going to let that spirit of fear come back on me. But oftentimes what I'm saying is, is we don't discern the enemy's attacks. N 99 out of 100 would have said, yeah, we need to take that dude to the hospital. And I would have even said that too, right? But I'm going to pray first. And if nothing happens with my prayer... Go to the hospital. I'm all for it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't go to the hospital. What I'm saying is let's believe God first and let's see things from a spiritual perspective. Let's talk about authority again. Donald is sitting there praying for a lady, and this may be a little bit too much for, for people, but Donald is praying for this lady, and as he's praying, and, and now I'm, I'm watching, and there's this young 23-year-old girl, right? This young 23-year-old girl, she's, she's a Chinese girl. She's standing off to the right, and Donald's praying for this other woman, and, and Donald just is praying for her, and he calls out a particular spirit, and when he does, that girl flops down on the floor and starts just, like, convulsing. And we go over to that girl, and once we start ministering to her, it took about four people to hold her down, and about 15 different demons manifested in that girl because she had been abused her entire life. But God began to systematically bring deliverance in her life, and every single one of those unclean spirits bowed to the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus says, don't rejoice that we, you have authority over the devils in my name, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we don't rejoice over the fact that we have that authority, but we do rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us, written our names in heaven, and now he's saying, you guys need to go out and minister to people in the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I would ask you in this point is what in your life, in your family is going on that you've not even addressed in prayer yet? You've not even addressed it. You've just overlooked it and accepted it and allowed it to come into your home and allowed it to come into your life, allowed it to attack your mind, allowed this fear and this anxiety and this worry to dominate your life. And God's saying, you know what? You need to make a bold declaration against that thing. And you need to continue to make it and you need to get in the word of God and stand against that thing because there's authority and power in the words that we speak. That's the third thing I got in your notes. You believe that? 
The words that you speak, there's authority and there's power. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. And in Exodus 7, verses 8 through 12, you don't have to read it. I'll give you a little overview. But Moses takes that same rod and he lays it down on the ground and it turns into a serpent. Well, Pharaoh brings in his sorcerers, his magicians. They lay their rods out on the ground and they become serpents as well. But do you know what happens? Aaron and Moses' serpent swallow up the other serpent. Now, that's powerful. Because what it's saying is, is that Satan has a measure of authority. He can speak things into your life, and he can use other people to speak things into your life. And when it happens, those things will come upon you. That's why our community and our church is in the condition that it's in, because Satan has spoken something over us. He has given an assignment to your life, to our church, to our community. He says, oh, they're not going to amount to anything. They're just going to remain in bondage. They're just going to remain in addiction. They're just going to remain in fear. All of these things. He's speaking these things constantly over us. But here's the problem is that oftentimes we, as Christians, oftentimes speak the same things that the enemy is speaking. We watch the news and regurgitate what the news is saying. You know what you're doing? You've picked another side. The other side, darkness is coming out of your mouth and you are enforcing and empowering darkness with the words that you speak. But here's what God is saying is that when you come in the authority of Christ and the word of God, it has the power to actually swallow up the lies of the enemy. If you will begin to speak truth into these situations and declare the truth of God over your life, over your mind, over your body, over your family, and over our community, when you're in your community and you're in your workplace and people are gossiping and speaking evil, it's a perfect opportunity to throw out your rod of authority and speak a word of life and grace and power and swallow up the serpents around you. Amen? That's a good word right there. When you're at work, and everybody is saying negative, negative, negative things. When you go to the doctor and the report comes back, you, well, you know what? It's okay to receive a diagnosis. But sometimes when we receive that diagnosis, we have to say, that's one serpent. I got one that's stronger. And it's about to swallow this report up. Amen? And you continue to speak that thing. And we have to begin to declare things over people's lives. That's why when we pray, we make declarations. With the one man that had a blood clot, I made him say, I said, I said, here's a verse of scripture. I want you to say this out of your mouth. Say, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And he said it real tentatively at first. He said, I'll live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I said, no, say it again. And he said it again until he was saying it boldly. And by the time he said it, it had swallowed up that lie of the enemy that said that he was going to die. And in your life, you have got to take God's word and God's truth and begin to use it to swallow up the lies and the fears that are coming in your mind and trying to torment your life. You receive that this morning? So you, you got to get in the Word of God. If not, you're going to get swallowed up. And that's, that, that, that's something that we have to learn and understand to do. We have to proclaim God's truth. Let me, let me move on to the second one. I hung out there a little too long. The, word, the second one is the Word, but it was good stuff, right? Do you receive anything from that? The second one is the Word of our testimony. Now, these are really simple things, and they get simpler as I go along. But the word of our testimony in Exodus 4, 6 through 8, it says that Moses did this. God said, Moses, put your hand in your bosom. Well, literally, he just kind of put it in here in his jacket pocket, if you will. And he pulled it out, and it was leprous. It had leprosy all over it, white as snow. And he said, now put it back in and pull it out again, and it was clean. 
Now, this is the word of our testimony, I believe, because in its most simplest terms, what he's saying is leprosy was the living symbol of sin in their time. For the Jewish people, it was the living symbol of sin. It, it, it totally contaminated you. It would eat off pieces of flesh. It would destroy you. And leprosy was a symbol of what sin does to our heart, is what leprosy does to our outer physical body. It eats it alive, contaminates it. And so what God is saying is your testimony, the fact that you had a heart that was leprous, sinful, covered up with anger, rage, hatred, all sorts of evil and corruption, and God transformed your heart and made it clean, and it came out clean and pure. And see, everybody in Christ has a testimony. You know that? Everybody, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have a testimony, no matter how small you may think it is or how big you think it is. Just beginning to share with people in your life, just beginning to share with people and say, you know what, I used to have a t terrible anger problem and God's changing me. You know, I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dealing with these things as much as I used to be. People who are uh, uh, addicted to drugs and struggling with different things. You know, the Lord brought me out of addictions to, to drugs and alcohol and pornography and hatefulness and just lying and all these different things. He brought me out of that. And so when I come to speak to somebody about the Lord, I'll share that with them, right? I share that with them. I say, here's what the Lord brought me out of. And see, everybody has a testimony where you've come from. I, I, I dealt with fear for years and God set me free from that. I, I was sick. Barb can, can share her testimony of she had a torn rotator cuff and God healed her instantly. And what that does is the word testimony, it literally means in, in the Hebrew, it means to do it again or to repeat. It means to do it again or to repeat. Now, our testimony literally creates an atmosphere for God to do what he did before right now. Let me read something to you. Revelation 19.10, it says, I fell at his feet to worship him. And an angel appears to John, and he says, But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, notice that, that, that last phrase. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, prophecy is, is, is in one sense, it's foretelling something that will come in the future, Right? But it also is a word that is given right now to change what's going to happen now. Because oftentimes God will give a word in our lives and when that word comes, when that word comes, something would not have happened if that word did not come. Does that make sense? So I can come and say, you know what? I really feel like the, the Lord is telling me to share with you that he wants to do this in your life or do that in your life. And unless that word had been released, that thing would not have happened. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What he means is, is that when we testify to people and tell people what has happened in our life, what God has done in the past for us, it reveals who God is, what he's able to do, and immediately as soon as we speak that, what happens is it creates an atmosphere for him to do that same thing in that moment. That's why it's so important to continue to testify to people. God's saying there's a couple of signs I want to give you. The first one is your authority that when you pray, things happen. 
The second thing is, is that when you begin to tell people what I've done to your life, as soon as you speak out what I've done in your life, it releases the spirit of prophecy. And what I'm saying is, because it came out of your mouth, I want to do it right now, right here. So that when I say and I tell you that God delivered me from years of addiction and I speak that out, it's because God wants to do it in your life right now. But if I don't speak it out, it's not released. And so on some level, if we're going to reach people, we have to begin to, to declare what God is doing, what he has done. And oftentimes, if we don't declare what God's doing, we're really robbing people of the potential of what God can do in their lives right now. We have to begin to guard the testimony, right? We have to guard it and protect it. Think about, just think about all the things that God's done in your life. You, you think about it often, where he's brought you from, the sin he's delivered you from, the healing he's brought into your life spiritually, emotionally, physically, what he started to do, even if you're just a new Christian, even if you just say, you know what, I've been to church one time, but the first time I came, I felt better when I left. You know what that is? That's a testimony. And when you begin to tell people that, all of a sudden it just releases God to start to do another work. And we have to guard and protect those testimonies in our life. And we have to begin to talk about these things more. When God does a miracle, we ought to write it down. We ought to keep record of it. When God does something, when God saves something, you ought, to, you ought to always be talking about what God's doing or has done in your life because the more you do it, it creates a culture where we begin to believe God for those things over and over and over again. We know that if God did it before, he'll do it again and he'll do it in greater things than that. Amen? So the testimony, praying for people in authority, but also sharing your testimony with people and making a, a declaration of those things in our life. The third thing, my last thing here, is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Now, the last, the last sign that, that God gave Moses was he said, if they don't listen to the first two signs, what you're going to do is you're going to take some of the river water and you're going to pour that river water out on dry ground and that river water is going to become blood. You know, I always, I always like comparing Jesus with, with Moses because, you know, the Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And you remember when Moses came into Egypt, he came in bringing plagues. Like, it's bad. He's bringing in lice and frogs and locusts and darkness, killing firstborns. I mean, it was bad. People read that and they're like, wow, I can't believe God did that to people. But see, what you have to see is you have to look at it and view as, as what it is, is God is not bringing judgment on people. He's bringing judgment on the powers of darkness. See, when God brings judgment, he's only bringing judgment on the one who's been judged, that is Satan. But the problem is, is that when you align yourself with Satan, you become the object of his judgment. Does that make good sense? You receive God's judgment because you've aligned yourself with the one who's been judged, and that is Satan. You have the ability to renounce your walk with Satan, believe in Christ, come into the kingdom of light, and as soon as you do, there's no judgment left on you because Jesus has taken it for you. Now, Jesus is the new Moses, and he comes in among people, and his plagues are different. Jesus has got plagues like eating with sinners healing the lepers, teaching, touching women with issues of blood, 
He bringing plagues on this old religious system that says you're never going to be good enough. God doesn't want to heal you. God doesn't want to touch you. God doesn't want you to get it right. You better get it together and that kind of a mentality. And he said, no, this is a wrong religious system and I'm bringing my judgment on this religious system and I'm bringing that judgment and my plagues with kindness. We're going to return blessing for cursing. We're going to reach out to the adulteress and tell her to go and sin no more and that no man condemns her and that she can have new life. These are the plagues that we bring on people. They're plagues of love and compassion and kindness and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a shift from the old covenant to the new. You see that? A lot of people want to live in the old covenant. They just want to stay and condemn people and put people down. And Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world, but so that the world would be saved. And it's a different, it's a shift, it's a change in things. See, the gospel is important. He takes the water. And for the Egyptian people, that water, that Nile River, I believe it was. Somebody correct me on my geography if I'm wrong. But they take the water out of that river. And for them, they worship the river. Because the river was life to them. All of their life, their trade, their wealth, everything came from the river. It's a picture of God taking his own life and pouring it out on dry ground. What he did was he took his own life, his only begotten son, and he poured him out among us in flesh. And when he poured him out among us in flesh, he took his own life that was perfect and he gave it in exchange for our sin, for our brokenness, for our curse, for our pain, for everything. And he took that on the cross and his blood was shed on dry ground. And what God was saying is the only way that people will ever be healed, will ever be transformed, will ever find new life is only and by and through the power of the gospel. That the proclaimed gospel, that when we tell you that, look, every single human being that has ever lived is bound in sin. They're bound in addiction. They're bound in all of these different things. And Jesus came to take that sin, to take that addiction, to take that fear, to take all of this brokenness in your life and to bring healing into your life. And he paid the price through his shed blood for you to have it. And you can have eternal life because apart from Jesus, you will be forever separated from God. Never come into your purpose. Never come into the reason you were existing. You will never live according to design, but you will pursue lust and pleasures and all of the things in this world, chasing it never to be fulfilled. But God has made a way that you can be restored to him through the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross. And when we proclaim that, it literally creates faith so that a person can believe. And when a person believes in that message that Jesus died for their sins and was raised from the dead and they confess him as Lord, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit begins to move in their life. That's the gospel. He begins to transform them. He begins to change them. He begins to bring them out. And here's the thing. Paul said this in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those that believe. Because you know what it's hard for us to do as Christians? It's very difficult for us to share the gospel. Some of us might go to the extreme of inviting somebody to church. But sharing with them what I just said, it's hard. Why? Because the enemy knows that's where the real power is. He really does. He knows that as soon as you start talking about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and that he died for you to be redeemed and bought back out of sin and that you'd be saved. Look, when, when Jesus saves you, he doesn't just save you from the penalty of sin. He saves you from the power of sin. He starts to bring a transformation in your heart and in your life and things begin to change. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because there's a potential to be ashamed and to shrink back from sharing the gospel with people. You ever wrestle with that? You ever struggle sharing the gospel with people? 
We all do. It's a struggle sometimes. But he says, it's the power of God unto salvation. That means that when the gospel is preached, there is power released that can bring holistic salvation. Doesn't just mean they get to go to heaven when they die. Means heaven's come to touch, him, touch them right now. Because God doesn't just save you spiritually. He saves you. He, he begins to save you mentally and emotionally. And he also saves you physically. And we won't perfectly be healed physically until we see him face to face, but doesn't mean that he can't do it now and bring, begin to bring healing into your body. But the most important is obviously our spirit. Now, in Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, the scripture says, How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And the context of this is not that God calls men to preach. Do you know that you can't find one place in the Bible where God called somebody to preach? He didn't call anybody to preach. Because he expects believers to preach the gospel. What it means is proclaim. Just believers. Now, yeah, he does call some to be pastors and evangelists and teachers and prophets and apostles, but he does not call them to be preachers. Now, I, I said the same thing. I've, I've said a million times, well, God called me to preach. But what I didn't realize, what, guess what? He called all believers to preach. Because he did call me to preach, but he called you to preach too. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's a good word. Just take that this morning. You're a preacher. People, people say all the time, well, he, or, they'll call you preacher. Preacher, preacher, preacher. Hey, preacher, I'm going to start calling y'all preacher. But here's the thing. He says, how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what that means is it's in the context of believing the gospel and being, being saved. And what you'll notice is maybe you notice it, maybe you don't. But when you leave church, you, you, you literally oftentimes if somebody's preached a faith message and not a weird message, then you believe, you leave there believing God to do greater things, don't you? You ever feel that way? You ever just, you get in church and you're like, wow, man, maybe God can do some stuff. Why? Because the word of God's been released and it's birthed faith. When the word of God is not spoken, faith is not birthed. What that means is, is that there can be people on the outside of these walls that are hardcore, diehard atheists steeped in unbelief. And I will be honest with you, I doubt they've ever heard the gospel. Maybe they have. Some people hear it and they still just reject it because they're in bondage. That's fine. You know, but if we as Christians don't proclaim the gospel, what we're really doing is saying, you know what? I don't really want you to believe this gospel because they cannot believe it unless faith is birthed through the preached word. That's why I have another problem. Now, now, don't get me wrong, folks. If you ask me, I am Pentecostal, but I come from a background where we sometimes just weird stuff was done. I pastored a church where weird stuff was done. And, you know, you have those services where people say, well, you know what, if we had such a good service, a preacher didn't even get a preach. Let me tell you something. You have one of those services, you had a bad service. I know that's going to offend somebody this morning. That's all right, Donald. Because... <laughs> Because if the word of God does not go forth, there's no potential for faith. Faith is not birthed through people falling out in the spirit. Faith is birthed through the proclaimed word of God. And so we have to start, look, if our, if our goal is to win souls and make disciples, we have to set aside our traditions. We, and we have to live according to what the word of God says. I don't care how mommy and daddy did it 20, 30 years ago. I care what the word of God says we ought to be doing now. 
You can say amen to that if you want to. Because, here's the truth, I'm not trying to win people into my religious denomination. I'm trying to win people to Jesus. And I'm telling you, we get so caught up, especially in our community, in our religious hangups and our cultural hangups, that we've got a thousand churches on every corner, but we're really not trying to win people to Jesus. We're really trying to win people into our denomination and ways of believing. And a lot of people who are broken, they don't even know how to play church like you know how to. So when you lay hands on them, they probably ain't going to holler because they don't know how to. And we have, look, I know, I, again, I'm poking the bear, on, I know, on this, on some things. But what I'm trying to say is, is that if our goal is really to win souls, we have to begin to reevaluate why we do what we do. And we have to think about the people that are coming in here. When we invite people this week, we have to think about not myself and what I like and the music I like and what I'd like to hear and what I'd like to do. We have to start to think about those people who have never heard the gospel before in their lives. They never heard a, a person sing a song to Jesus. They never seen one human being lay their hands on a sick person and ask for, for healing. They've not seen it. When they see it the first time, it does freak them out. These things are different to them. And you have to begin to think with them in mind because our goal is to win souls. Does that make sense to you? Our goal is not to have good church services. I thank God for good church services, but it's still not our goal. Our goal is to win souls. The gospel of the kingdom is the answer for all problems. And therefore, we have to release it. We have to speak it. Or literally, we're robbing people from the place of where they can put faith in God and believe Him to be transformed and changed. Mark 16, 20, I like this. Consider my message is called Three Signs. It says, they went out and they preached everywhere. Look at this. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. Now, here's what I like about that, is the Lord doesn't confirm me. He confirms his word. Because some people say, well, I can't believe God healed somebody. That preacher right there, he, you know what? He, he just ain't really that good of a guy. Well, see, the Lord didn't confirm in that guy. Yeah, I mean, I know you got your reservations with me, but if God does something here today, he's not confirming me. He's confirming his word. So that takes pressure off me to do everything perfect and just release the word with the, in the you know, best way I know how, with allowing God to do it. And he says, but the Lord was with them. When you go, the Lord is going to be with you. And that's what he says to Moses right now in, in Exodus 4.10. Moses said, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Am not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and I shall teach you what to say. See, our usual response is when we're confronted with all these truths I just gave us all is our inadequacies. Well, I can't really do that. You know, I know you can do that, Clay, but I ain't like you. I can't really do that. I can't, I can't do that. And God is saying, no, you go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall say. And I'm telling you, I've seen him do this so many times. I remember when I first got set free from a lot of stuff and God filled me with his spirit, I went to my buddy's house and they were in there smoking dope and drinking beer, and which I would have been. I just had been probably a week earlier. <clears throat> but then God set me free. And I went in there and my heart started beating out of my chest. I said, what is this? What is happening? 
And I knew on the inside, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what I've done for you. And so I just said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, Lord. What do I say? What do I say? And I just kind of, uh, like I just opened my mouth, and all of a sudden, words started to come. And I had the words for them. And you know what? Neither one of those guys got saved then, but one of them called me a couple years back, and he said, you know what? Ever since you did that six, seven years ago, ever since you did that, I've, I've been thinking about it all the time. And he said, I just realized, I went to church the other day, and I realized I wasn't saved, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And he said, I thank you for sharing that with me that day. Years later, the planted seed of the Word of God, if we'll just share it, if we'll just begin to allow God to use us in those ways, God will use us beyond our capacity so that he may be glorified. You say, well, I'm weak, good. He wants to use you in your greatest weakness to bring glory to his name. You're afraid of speaking? There was nobody more afraid of speaking than I was. When, when I felt like God called me to preach, as we say, and I was getting ready to get up and get behind a pulpit and share the gospel for the first time, I'm telling you, I'm not kidding you, for months. Like if I knew if I, knew I was going to preach in June, I'd start getting sick right now. I would wallow around on the floor. I laid in the floor one night and pulled my hair. I mean, that's how fearful I was of getting up and speaking in front of people. Anybody deal with that? And now over the years, over the years, I've seen God be so faithful with me so many times that literally before I get up, it's just like I've got a peace now. It's not that I don't have a little bit of nervousness, but at the same time, I've got peace. I just know, you know what? God's never failed me. He'll be with my mouth. He'll teach me what I ought to say. He'll help me. He'll be there with me. And he's taking away that fear, and he'll do that same thing with you. I love in Acts 4, and I'm closing. You guys can come to the music. Acts 4, these men of God in the book of Acts, they come out, they're filled with the Spirit. They're preaching the gospel. 3,000 people got saved, and they're going in different places and preaching. And all of a sudden, these people come out, and they say, you need to shut up preaching that gospel like that. You need to hush with that stuff. You need to lay that stuff down. Quit speaking in Jesus' name. And you know what they do? They call a prayer meeting and they say, Lord, grant that your servants would speak your word with all boldness and that you would stretch forth your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders in the name of your holy child, Jesus. And it says the spirit filled the place and the place was shaken. And you know what happened to them? It says they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Some of you in your lives, you're one bold proclamation away from breakthrough. You're one bold proclamation away from breakthrough in your life and just saying, you know what? I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm going to say what God says and devil, you're going to have to let go of me in this area. I'm telling you, there's something happen, happens when you become bold and you begin to declare the word of God over your life, over your family's life, over your community's life, and you begin to know that when you proclaim the word of God, God is going to follow it with signs and wonders and miracles. You have to believe that. He's going to transform lives. He's going to transform hearts. He's going to do this. And you know what? Boldness is just one step past convenience. So many of us, we remain fearful and we remain silent. And God is saying, I want to begin to give you boldness. That doesn't mean you get any louder, necessarily. I know sometimes when I preach, I get loud. But boldness is just being willing to speak the truth in difficult circumstances. They said, Lord, behold their threats. You know that boldness that got us in trouble last time? Give us a little more of that. That boldness that got everybody to tell us to be quiet and quit speaking in the name of Jesus last time, give us a little bit more of that. Let us proclaim the word of God boldly. Stand to your feet for a minute.